This episode of See Here is brought to you by Oi! I'll fucking hit you! Welcome to uh, the latest episode of the See Here podcast. Now, uh, regular listeners, I think there's three or four of you out there, uh, might have noticed that I'm not uh, Morris. Uh, This is actually Bernie taking the reins this week. Morris is uh, otherwise indisposed, but um, he insisted that we continue without him. Uh, So we're no longer... The show must go on. Absolutely. Uh, We're not a fab four this week. We're a power trio. (laughs) <laughs> and as you can hear, the other members of the Power Trio are already trying to uh, to upstage me, upstage my drum solo with their drum solos. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, here we go. I'm Bernie, and uh, across the uh, the great uh, Atlantic Ocean, we have uh, Wendy in Chicago. Hey, friends! Hey, Wendy. And uh, we have Tim in uh, South Korea. Howdy. How's it all going, guys? Wonderful. Yeah, it's going. Good. Good. Are you uh, are you comfortable we can uh, make this happen without Morris? You know, it'll be hard, and you'll have to edit out my weeping, my hysterical sure. weeping. Well, we've, we've already spent 20 <laughs> minutes trying to calm you down, so I think hopefully <laughs> we're through the worst of it. <laughs> our, uh, our faithful Jedi Master is still here in spirit. Yeah, absolutely. He is with us always. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> you lives in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> And on my wall of crazy pictures I've printed out of him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Is that the, the telephoto lens is working now, yeah? And the restraining order's <laughs> been listed, lifted. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, uh, I think we're a little pressed for time this week, so um, if we just jump straight into, uh, you know, what you've been watching, listening to, um, and uh, tell us a little about that, I guess. Uh, do you want to go first, Wendy? Oh, gosh. Uh, what have I been watching? Well, I went to see, in the movies, I saw John Wick a couple times in the theater. Oh, okay, with Keanu yeah. Reeves. Yeah. <laughs> I know uh, Awesome uh, Fabian you know. is a huge fan of this one, so uh, is it awesome? Yes, it, it's totally awesome. I give it an A++. Oh, yes. I enjoy that. Oh, and uh, the David Bowie exhibit is at the Museum of Contemporary Art here in oh, Chicago. Yeah. Okay, nice. And, it's, yeah, it's the only appearance in America. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's pretty tremendous as, you know, a whole bunch of uh, props and costumes and all the, you know, stuff from every genre, every era of his career. And it's pretty extensive. So it's it's very, very impressive. And it's only here for like two more weeks. So nice. I heard, I heard, I heard a rumor that somebody told me that uh, at some point they had Iggy Pop behind glass. <laughs> Can you tell the difference between uh Iggy Pop and the Iggy Pop waxwork model. I don't think there's there's much between it these days, is there? No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Madame Tussauds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
so are you a big <laughs> Bowie fan, Wendy, or are you just sort of interested in in him as a, you know, from a kind of historical? Well, yeah, well, I got to be honest. I feel... I, I'm Mr. Contrary again. I'm, I'm not a huge Bowie lover, to be honest. But uh... I feel Bowie's like the Beatles. I feel like there's an era of him for everyone. You know, I feel like there's something like when you have someone whose career has spanned so much and changed so much and influenced so much. I feel like there's something there for everyone. You know, or even if you don't like something, you know. Have you ever seen you can... the movie? Uh, you ever seen the Woody Allen film Zelig? Yes, yeah. Yes, years ago. Well, I think Bowie is like Zelig. Yeah. You know, the, he's absolutely like that. He he whatever whatever he wants to kind of, you know, mold himself into, he becomes, you know, he's just like the eternal musical space chameleon. chameleon. Yeah. Yeah, he's a the space chameleon, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like they had like all the diagrams of the things that he drew out for all his stage design and like how he was really in charge of like every aspect of all these things about these giant tours and uh, you know, I think it was just it was just fascinating, uh, and you know, it, it's it, even it, also his his film career. He's one of those few musicians who's been able to be a convincing actor in any way. You know, like uh, I mean, I really enjoy a, a man who fell to earth and Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Uh, you know, his stage career when he was in the Elephant Man. I feel like I feel like Bowie's just an interesting iconic uh, right. you know, symbol. It's, well, uh, he, he he was uh, one of the ones that actually. Uh, have you guys ever seen the footage of uh, Bowie from the late seventies with uh, Klaus Nomi? With yeah, I've heard about. It. Yeah, when the TVC one five, the live version with uh, Carlos Alomar. And ba- oh, that's amazing! Like, that's that's really really amazing. But you know what's really funny? I find about Bowie is um, a lot of people have been telling me for for a long time. They said you got to watch this uh, series, The Venture Brothers, right? And I had never seen it, so that I started watching the back seasons of the Venture Brothers. And the guy who uh, created the Venture Brothers is huge in the Bowie because Bowie's actually in the cartoon. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they even have like one of one of the ships is called the uh, the rockets is called TVC one five the jet. And then they ha- and then they have a guy called the Action Man in it. And there's all these little sprinklings of and Klaus Nomi's in the cartoon and Iggy's in the cartoon and. It's bizarre, like how there's, you know, how far Bowie has actually kind of permeated pop culture and whatever. Why? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like even if you don't like his music, I feel like you have to respect his, uh, you know, his influence on things. Can I be controversial, or do you just not want to hear me bad my thing someone else? <laughs> no, no, go right ahead. Go right ahead. Personally, I think Bowie is very good at picking up on trends, sur- surrounding himself with the right people. And stealing from the correct people who, you know, might not be in the uh, the public gaze, public view, and maybe passing some of that stuff off as being a bit more original than it actually is. Um, so, I'll, I'll be honest, I think he's a better actor than he is a musician, but that's just me. It's my job to be controversial around here, and uh, right. I'm keeping my end up. So, What was that film he did where he played Tesla? Did you see that? Oh, oh um, the, the magician one. Yeah. Fucking- yeah. yeah, that's the Chris that. Nolan movie, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was that was great. I thought that yeah. was really good. Yeah. Unless we forget uh, we uh, the Linguini incident with Rosanna Arquette. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Listeners at home will be freaking out, yelling the name of this movie that was it the. Uh... <laughs> it's the Illusionist, isn't it? The Illusionist. No, no. The oh, the Prestige. The Prestige. Yeah. Yeah. No, he he's very good, good in that, isn't he? Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, totally. And then there's the bit in Twin Peaks where he's only in the film for like two minutes. And again, he's fantastic Fire. in that. Yeah, Firewalk with me. Yeah, uh-huh. good stuff. All right, Tim. So, what have you been uh, watching or listening to? Well, more more of a more of a perspective here. Last night, it officially happened. Uh, I hit that moment in my lifetime where I realized, fuck, am I old? Jesus. I uh, I went out last night, and you know, and I was trying to be social. <clears throat> In Seoul, uh, there was a number of uh, Christmas parties and events going on. So I knew a friend of mine had told me that this one bar, Orange Tree, that they were having a Saturnalia uh, electro electronic goth event type of thing, right? Oh, that sounds like I'd be old already. Go yeah, on. <laughs> I'm old just yeah. listening to this, yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I stopped in at a couple other places before. You know, I'd seen friends and stuff, and then I thought, okay, I'll just pop in there and catch my friend. So I go in there, and, you know, it's just a little tiny bar. And initially, I'm just feeling like, oh, wait a minute, man, this is a big mistake, you know? <laughs> like, and then uh, I, I go up to the DJ guy, and I'm just trying to say to him, hey, man, uh, could you play She's in Parties? And he's like, who does that? And I'm like, Bauhaus. And he's like, oh, okay. And then I asked him, I said, well, could you play Smothered Hope by Skinny Puppy? And he goes, oh, I'll have to find it. And then he just goes on the internet and starts searching on his little laptop. And I was just like, oh, jeez, man, um, this is going to be a good night, you know? And then, uh, you know, I'm, I, I can't criticize because everybody's got their own stance and everybody's got their own take on things and they, they glean value out of that and that's great by me. But, you know, it's like I'm looking and I, I, I see these kids and it's like, how can I describe them as like, they're almost like rainbow bright PVC, rainbow bright kids. <laughs> you know? I know and, what you're talking about. And they're just, and it's like, you know, they're glittery. And I almost wanted to say, oh, you're those sparkly vampires, right? You know, but, you know, but I sat there and I had a gin and tonic and, you know, and I kind of, you know, perused the surroundings. And then after that, I just kind of went, man, I don't, you know, I almost, that, that goddamn song popped right into my head. The, the line in that song over and over and I don't belong here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was just like, so I left. And, and all the way, and all the way home, I just basically listened to Joy Division on my iPod just to cleanse that whole thing out of my head, you know. But um, I, I think it's, uh, I think it happens to all of us, Tim. You yeah, know, it's it's just the way it works. You know, we're kind of becoming obsolete, and uh, you know, the next generation and next generations are uh, you know stepping up, and um, well, yeah, it's just it's, wrong. It, it's not. It's not that you know. It's not anything about being obsolete. I think it's just that. And again, I'm not trying to say, well, back in our day, it was so much better, you know. But But it was, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, but (laughs) no, it just seems like everything is so diluted now. It just seems like everything is so neutered. Everything is so, like, you know, I don't know. It's uh, it's funny. I was reading in, um, I I don't know if either of you are aware of a magazine called The Wire. Yeah, Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, I was reading in the latest issue uh, a piece in there about uh, how there isn't an underground anymore, how everything no. has been commodified, and you know you can you can find anything within seconds on the internet, even the most obscure obscure LP, you can find some sort of vinyl yeah. rip of it somewhere. 
Yeah. And everything's was cross-pollinated to such an extent that, you know, there is no underground. There is nothing new or shocking anymore. Mm. Um, well, there was a great Noswald article about, like, geek culture and about how, like, there's no such thing as, like, really being a geek anymore because everybody just finds everything out about yeah. this thing that they decided they're into in minutes. And once again, it's just, like, like punk culture and music culture, like, in America... It, you know, in the 70s or 80s, like, every every different city had its own different... Yeah, every absolutely. different city had its own punk scene. Everything had, had a different sound to it, because you didn't necessarily know what the other people were doing on the West Coast, or yeah, whatever. Just, that was the excitement yeah. of when bands started touring, was you got to hear what Minneapolis sounded like, what right. San Francisco sounded like. Yeah, yeah. And they don't have regionality anymore, that's the problem. We just don't have any regionalism. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, culture and the internet today has become kind of like the eye of Mordor, where everything just gets sucked into it, you know? I mean, and no, like you were saying, Bernie, you know, about no underground now. It's like, you know, for example, like when we talked about Gigi Allen, everybody thought, man, like nobody is going to glean onto this or nobody's going to want to look, look him up, you know? And, and lo and behold, it's like MTV, 10 most shocking rockers of all time. And he's like number one, you know? Jeez, so I yeah. mean, everything gets absorbed, man. I mean, even yeah. like you look back in the, in the nineties, uh, serial killer culture. I mean, all that got absorbed by popular media, yeah, man. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and I were all sat there watching Hannibal every week and talking about, well, right. no, it's not as gory yeah. as the last season. So, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah no. So it's, it's really strange times. Yeah, it's weird, man. It's just you know. So anyway, no, I I just felt kind of incredibly like I don't know. It's weird. It's it's like I felt almost like the like uh, what do you call it? Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge's ghost, where it's just like you know, you know, it's like here we see the bar of the future. Look, look, you know. And I'm just like, no, I don't want to look. It's bad. You know. Yeah, once there. again, I just choose to believe that I'm old, but that there are younger people than me who are doing something cool, and I just don't happen to know about it. I would right. like yeah. to. You know, I, I'm sure that's the case, Wendy. I mean, they're out there. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's gonna happen. Yeah. And, but yeah, I think this. You know, it's just part of of getting older. Is you know, change happens, doesn't it? So uh, yeah, yeah, we just have to deal with it. You know, take right. some more uh, antidepressants and just keep on going. You know. Right. So, or anybody anybody gets in the way, you just hit him in the nose with your cane. Yeah, damn right. Yeah, yeah. It works for ginger. Yeah. So, yeah. Anything else you wanted to mention, Tim, or you just? Uh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I just wanted to mention a few things quickly. Um, saw a movie last week. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones's latest directorial effort called The Homesman. Mm. Um, which was fantastic. Very, very good. Uh, very, very bleak and dark as well. Um, it went in some directions I wasn't expecting it to. So I would wholeheartedly recommend that. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is excellent in it and, uh, Hilary Swank is really good in it as well. And also, she's I called- saw that, uh, what was it? The one he did that, the Garcia, uh, is it the three burials of Melky yeah. at the Strada? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. I saw that. That was really good. I like that. He's obviously got a, a very sort of deep affection for uh, westerns uh, and the whole kind of you know uh, mythology of the West as well as the actual history of the West. Sure. Um, because sure. even though the Three Burials of uh, Melchior Estrada was a, a contemporary film, it still very much had a western vibe. Right, uh, right, right. And the Homesman is full on western, um, but. You know, I don't want to say too much, give too much away, but it is excellent. Uh, and if you get a chance to check it out, you totally should. Leans toward uh, Italy? Uh, no, no, not really. If anything, it's um, 
it's it's got that vibe of maybe some of the sort of early 70s american westerns things like the hired hands uh, uh. so it's got that kind of reflective slow uh, sort of elegiac kind of feel to it you know I see, um, I see. but yeah really good excellent uh, and I just wanted to mention a book which I picked up the other day, uh, which you probably both uh, be interested in. You might have it already. Uh, it's a book called Gimme Indie Rock uh, by a guy called Andrew Earls, who is um, he's written for Spin, Vice, Pitchfork, Magna, The Onion, all sorts of things. But this is basically uh, Subtitled 500 Essential American Underground Rock Albums, 1981 to 1996. Uh, huh. And it's basically a, a kind of year-by-year... Year, um, actually, no, sorry, it's alphabetical. Uh, listing of just exactly what it says, 500 cool American indie rock albums. Uh, you know, hmm. and I'm just flicking through it. It's got, like, Moss Icon. It's got uh, Jewel Box. It's got Jan Deck in there. The Gits. Godhead Silo. Uh, Blonde huh. Redhead. This is basically, you know, my teens and early twenties in book form. So, um, right, it's a nice little so, uh, wallow in the style. So it's it's pretty it's uh it pr- it's pretty obscure, right? I mean, like it hits a lot of the uh, it does, yeah. The it, more uh, well, it goes both ways. I mean, you know, obviously it's got Nevermind in there, and it's got some fairly mm-hmm. big, uh, you know, well-known LPs, but it's got a lot of yeah. you know, a lot of obscure stuff in there as well. Mm. Uh, which I was really pleased to see because normally these kind of things, uh, you know, it's just retreading what is the accepted uh, mythology about that kind of thing. Right. Uh, you know, it's got the first Toiling Midgets LP in there, so as far as I'm uh, concerned, it's, uh, at it's least good that, stuff. They better better have some steel pull bathtub in there. It's, at got, least. A, it's got about four of their albums yeah. in there, Tim. Yeah, yeah. The uh, yeah. the guy who writes it is obviously a big steel pull bathtub fan, so yeah, it's worth picking up. You know, if you're even a rudimentary interest in that kind of thing i think you'll get something out of it so right so there you go put it on the christmas great. list guys yeah all right so uh anything else or shall we uh take a little break no. and then jump into um our review oh geez i you know i've yeah. not even mentioned what we're doing this week wow this what i tell you what host you? yeah i know You're this, fired. this hosting business <laughs> is a lot more difficult than it looks so, uh, okay, well, we're doing, uh, it's Wendy's pick this week, uh, and Wendy, you picked Beware of Mr. Baker from, uh, 2012, which I'm sure any savvy music fan out there will know, uh, is a documentary about Mr. Ginger Baker, one of the, uh, greatest drummers of all time. So, yeah, we'll take a little break and we will come back and discuss it. Are you really gonna hit me with the fuck? I fucking well am! I'm gonna fucking put you in hospital! What? Oh my god! Yes!
Uh, right, and we're back. Uh, so, as uh, I just mentioned before the break, the film we're discussing this week uh, is Beware of Mr. Baker. As I said, this was Wendy's choice. So, um, Wendy, why don't you tell us uh, why you picked the film and, um, you know, a little bit about it. Oh, man. You know, it's so funny to me. Like, I was thinking about this as I was watching. I was thinking about that documentary about Lee Von Helm from last year or whatever, and the documentary about Grain Heart that's available on Hulu. Man, drummers are some crotchety-ass people. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose, I I don't know, maybe I'll age and be angry. Well, I'm pretty angry now. All right, maybe it's all true. I don't know. I was going to say, uh, you're the exception that maybe proves the rule, Wendy. (laughs) So I know Morris is pretty crotchety, isn't he? But so. yeah, I just. <laughs> but I picked this because you know, like the the myth and the the, the story. Oh, and Buddy Ridge, there's a crotchety asshole too. Oh, jeez, yeah. I just, yeah, I just feel like Ginger Baker is there's such a legend and a mythos about him, and yet he is always sort of like put down under Bonham and Keith Moon and so forth. But like, I just really want to see something that highlighted how transcendental his drumming was and how how much influence he had on so many things. So are you a big Ginger fan yourself, Wendy? Or have you been influenced by his? Not really. <laughs> Not really. Cause okay. <laughs> I, 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 would never choose, I would never choose to listen to Cream or Blind Faith. My mother loved loved Cream and she loved Blind Faith. And I don't ever want to hear their music again. <laughs> I can relate to that, <laughs> Exactly, he's an amazing drummer. Especially, I loved all the stuff I've worked with Fela Kuti that they yeah. did in this movie. Like, I really feel this movie showcased like how different he was from the other drummers at that time, and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed his style, and I enjoyed uh, everything he did. And and what a fucking raging dick he is! <laughs> <laughs> I don't mince words, there, Wendy. No. <laughs> what about you, Tim? Are you uh, are you a, a fan of Ginger, or are you a fan particularly of any of his bands, his musical output? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, pretty much all of it. And you know, the thing is, is like a lot of people, Ginger always gets uh, compared to Bottom and Moon. But whereas Mooney would destroy his drum set, I think Ginger would destroy you with his drum set. <laughs> and uh, you know, I cannot overstate the uh, absolute monumental influence that Ginger has had on rock and roll. And I mean, you know, it's no word of a lie or exaggeration like in the film when they say, they talk about how he was one of the first to actually go over to Africa and kind of bring that whole sound, that rhythm, that four, bring it to North America and uh, and bring it to Europe. I mean, you know... And whereas, you know, a lot of other drummers were that kind of more that, you know, Ginger had that, he, he was the guy, he had the thud, you know, yeah. Ginger, Ginger brought that thud where, and I think that, that was his contribution to music. I mean, shit, well, when you, sorry, when, go ahead. Oh, no, no, like, that was the thing, was that he also, he could swing, like, he could swing like a motherfucker, and they totally oh. say, Wait, point um, that out, too. It is right? interesting that, uh, you know, they kind of mention at various points in the film that he pretty much invented rock drumming. He was the right. rock drummer, but at the same time, he's not a rock player, he's a jazz player, isn't he? No. Well, you see, this, this is the thing, right, is that I think that 
I don't want, I don't want to speak for you, Wen, because I'm not a drummer. But uh, from my perspective, I've always found that rock drummers could just play rock, whereas jazz drummers are more versatile and they can play all kinds of variations of things, right? It's, yeah, I think yeah. I think that is true. But then they're also, I feel like the greatest rock drummers are people who. Yeah, who have such a jazz sense, but like, like Stuart Copeland, who was, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. or Neil Peart, or whatever, like, like, they're great rock drummers, because they can work around the beat, you know, like, yeah. I loved it when they explained that the beginning of the White, of White Room is like a 5-8 bolero, right. you know, like, I, I liked it when they, how they explained things like that, like, like, I, there should be a different, great, great drummers have a, can play melodically, and can play uh, with the concept of, of timing and 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 yeah. playing within the music rather than just like chunka chunka, you know. <laughs> like, it seems like, just, like it seems like there used to be more <clears throat> of a tradition of. Um, I mean, you know, your basic rock beat is, I guess, just generally a four four beat, isn't it? But it seems mm-hmm. there used to be back in the the sixties uh, and seventies there was more of a tradition of rock drummers who'd kind of learnt their arts and, as you say, they were able to play around the beat and play with the beat and. It wasn't right. just a straightforward thing. These were, you know, they were musicians. Now, you know, I'm not saying that drummers aren't musicians, mm. but they have more of a musical... You know, I'm thinking of someone like uh, John what? Densmore from The uh, Doors, for example. Mm. You know, so... um, so And I, I guess Ginger started that tradition in a way, or he was certainly one of the first. Absolutely, and yeah. I think, you know, if, if, you're any, if you're any musician worth your grain of salt, uh, I think that you really go back and you look at the foundations of, of what came before you. And I mean, the, the thing is, is like with Ginger, he looked at, you know, I mean, all those amazing jazz drummers that he grew, he grew up with. And then, uh, and then there was on top of that, what was his name? Pete, uh, Pete Seaman. Pete Seaman. Yeah. Yeah. And Pete Seaman, when he, um, <laughs> when, when Pete Seaman introduced him to all the, uh, the Burundi and the, the combo yeah. drums. Yeah. And I mean, so it was a combination. It was that mix, almost like a speedball of, uh, you know, the African with the traditional jazz. Yeah. And, and like you said, Wendy, he could swing, but then he also brought that thud. And then when it was a combination of the two, you know, that was, you couldn't beat that. And, and, and let's discuss how fucking cool was it when he would do those big drum battles, those challenges with oh the people that he God. admired. Oh, but, that, uh, when he was playing with Art Blakey, that was unbelievable. Just yeah. unbelievable. Buddy Miles, holy yeah. shit. Elvin, oh my gosh, yeah. like, who never had the balls to just be like, yeah, I'm just gonna get my idols, and I'm just gonna challenge them, we'll do this. Like, like, that's the thing, I feel like modern drumming is missing this showmanship. It's missing yeah. that sort of, like, yeah. crazy, and... Yeah, it's so funny because I'm so torn about a lot of things in life, and I'm so torn because I love, I love good pop music, and I love things that aren't like big and flashy. Like I hate guitar noodling, I hate songs over you know over three minutes and so forth. But then again, I love it when people can showcase their craft. I love right. it when you know. But well, there's a difference. You know what's between... really funny about that? Sorry, go ahead, I, I Bernie. I was going to say that there's a difference between being able to really play. And just mm-hmm. showing off, do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you know when right. you know Ginger and I, you know, in the middle of that drum bar, when Ginger's playing at any point, he's not showing off. He's just so deeply into it. 
it's just it's almost like he's channeling something it's just flowing out of him it's who he is right. and it's very right. telling well, that the, the only time he really shows any emotion in the film is when he's talking about you know playing with Art Blakey and Max Roach and how these idols of his who he's you know he's been so lucky to actually play with and he can even count on his friends that's the only time he shows any emotion right. at all in the film right well there's three three things that I wanted to say that uh, the first one was you know when he had those drum challenges he was talking about how he said you know when you know when you're really playing with people that are good because you're playing together yes you're not you're not playing against each other yeah, you're playing yeah. together right and then the second right, go ahead when yeah like it wasn't a competition like at the end they would come together yeah They'd right be, right right and then what you were talking about bernie when you said you know he was so into it there's uh, the piece in the film where they're interviewing carlos santana and Santana said, I saw them the first time that Cream came to San Francisco, the first North American tour, and they were playing that supersonic music, I think he said. He does, yes. When, yeah. yeah, when he says, you know, that's when, you know, the power, the power of the spirit gets in you and you don't even know what you're doing there. You're just doing it, you know. And that's where when you, when you see Ginger play, it's like he's not even there. It's like he's not, and I've been lucky to see a few bands that have hit that sweet spot once in a while. It doesn't happen all the time, but you know when it's like you're not there, they're not there, but something is happening, you know. And yeah, yeah it's a and then with thing, his, isn't it? oh, absolutely. And with his with his drums, when you say the only time he he kind of shows any emotion is G Ginger's going on about a point in the film where he says. Uh, I told my wife early on, he said, if I have a choice between choosing you yeah. and my drums, I'm going with my drums, you know? So, uh, and also, can we discuss, like, uh, some of the people speaking about, like, Eric Clapton was very tactful, I thought. Uh, I thought Eric yeah. came off very classy. No, absolutely. I, to be honest, I think Jack Bruce was as well, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah and I feel, I feel this is kind of touching now with the recent loss of Jack Bruce, yeah, too. Sure. No, that's, that was one that hit me pretty hard, too, because, you know, it's so funny, though, because it's like, there's no way Cream would have been Cream without Ginger, but I mean, and without Jack, you know? Well, but everybody was the always, sum of all three of them, wasn't it? It was just unique. Right, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. But everybody always sings the Cream as Clapton's band, right? Oh, God. Like, a lot of people. A lot of people do, man. They say all oh, that was Clapton's band, but it wasn't. Because well, Jack was very uh, forthright and, you know, saying it was his thing and he put it together and it was, right. you know, it was my yeah. band. But I think he says right. that about pretty much every endeavor he's involved in. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I it's so funny because it's like I, I kind of look at Ginger like a metaphor for he's like drugs because. <laughs> yeah, but no, but I mean, I mean it in the sense that it's like he would show up in places and people would love him for a while. And then it would be just like, no, I, I can't do this anymore, man. I can't handle this anymore. And then he'd just go on somewhere else and he'd burn the house down. And no, I can't do this it's anymore, you know. Funny, is one of his uh, ex-wives towards the end uh, says uh, he's either got a problem staying or a problem in that he has to leave. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's, uh, he can't but, stay, so he's got to leave. It's always, the problem but, isn't that he's always leaving. The problem is that he can't stay, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, but there's the bit where, you know, 
they finally clapped and just says, fuck it, I've had enough, you know, between Ginger uh, and Jack going at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then so so he decides to go and, you know, shack up with Stevie Winwood, you know, yeah. with Blind Faith. And then lo and behold, who shows up? Ginger. Ginger's yeah. Like, yeah, why didn't you call me, man? I'm here, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, and Clapton's just like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so yeah. I just wanted to, um, to mention a little bit about... The documentary itself uh, it was directed uh-huh. by a guy called uh, Jay Bolger, who apparently wrote an article about uh, Ginger Baker for uh, for Rolling Stone. Uh, right. The uh, the documentary kind of came out of that. Like that kid didn't even work for Rolling Stone. He just lied yeah, yeah, to totally. go and live with Ginger Baker. Well, that was just like yeah, it totally reminded me of reminded me of what's the, the Cameron Crowe film? Almost famous, almost famous, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to uh, see what you guys thought. I mean, it, it's a fairly straightforward documentary, and it follows Ginger what? from his, you know, from childhood through his career up to where he is now, or where he was like two years ago when it was made. So um, I just wondered what you guys thought of it as a piece of filmmaking, as a documentary. Um, I mean, there was there was a lot of sort of little animated sequences. Yeah, I love and that. A lot of I really, so did, I love that. Do you think that. it was successful as a piece of filmmaking? Oh well, yeah. It's interesting because it didn't really have a trajectory. Like there wasn't. It was just like look at Ginger Baker. Isn't this dude fucked up? It wasn't like uh, an evolution of like a specific event or something. Yeah. It was just very very much this sort of like uh, uh, you know flashback of of his life. You know. Yeah. No, I thought it was beautiful. All the the animated sequences, a lot of it was really fantastic and touching. I mean, especially like when they incorporated bits of his father, yeah, and you know, and then the past, and then and then and then there were some really cool bits because I forget where it was in the beginning when it's got Ginger talking and then it slows like it slows it slows right down during the animation. And it's yeah. like he's tripping out in the animation. You know? I think that's when he was talking I, about uh, doing the cocktail of uh, heroin, LSD, and cocaine with gray right, right, right. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> right. But then, um, and then there's the thing where you see, like, for example, when he's lost in the rhythm, and you see where Ginger's on the slave ship, where he's playing the drums. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's all that. I thought that was really cool. Like, I thought it was amazing. Like, they look like pencil sketches almost, or almost like pastel. Um, it kind of had pastel. That, yeah, I thought it had almost that sort of scratchy Gerald Scarf kind of feel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But but I thought I thought it was really uh, it was really great the way it was incorporated into the film. It just wasn't talking heads and snapshots that there was an actual style to it yeah which i thought you know really added to the film because yes yeah now do you think uh i mean obviously you you know one could never tell without knowing the people involved but do you think it was a fair portrait of ginger baker i think it was a fair portrait because i mean obviously you got to see enough of his behavior you got to see i mean he's pretty open about the level of person he is you know so i feel like it was definitely fair like he it he he didn't disagree with anyone, and and like we were saying about Clapton and Jack Bruce and Stevie Steve Winwood, like they all were very uh, respectful of his legacy as well. You know, even though the yeah. guys are raging fucking dick. Yeah. Well, as I, I said, most of them were pretty tactful. I loved his ex-wives. Yeah. I loved like how he needed he he had a at every concert he'd been to black hookers. Yeah. <laughs> I I have a question though. Yeah. Talking about wives. Um, here's the thing. When 
he's sitting at the kitchen table with his current wife, the African lady, and uh, Jay asks her, is Ginger a good stepfather? <laughs> the longest pause in cinema history, wasn't it? Right. Now, <laughs> do you think Do you think she, she paused because she didn't understand it, or she was just petrified to answer? Mm, I don't know. Because beat her with his cane if she hadn't answered. Yeah, right, like no, it just seems like she sat there like, oh my god, what do I say? What do I say? What do I say? Like it just seemed like she was like just totally on the spot, you know. And I saw and I mean, the impression that she didn't quite understand. That's what she was that's being initially asked. what I thought too, yeah. but I I wondered if it was a little of both, you know. It's <laughs> just like don't, don't you dare open your mouth, woman, you know. It's like yeah. <laughs> Another one of my favorite moments is when he was describing his problems with degenerative arthritis and stuff, and and Jay asks him, he's like, "Oh, is that why you haven't played drums in a while?" And he flips out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, just, it doesn't take much. He turns on a dime, doesn't he? And he's just like, "What yeah. the fuck are you talking about?" Or, or what was it when uh, he's like, you know, Jason? So so tell me what it was like working with you. Know, so tell me what it was like working with me. me, me, me. Like, he's sitting there fucking mocking him, eh? like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, the Mick Jagger story. Yeah, it's like, Jimmy, what's like Mick Jagger? And then he's just like, and this skinny little cunt gets up on stage, and I'm like, hey, who the fuck is this? You know, look at this little pawns, you know? It's like, yeah. But, you know, Ginger, though, the thing is, isn't it amazing, though, like, that I think that he's not just a cantankerous old fuck, because he only saw, you know, just a, a quick little snip of it, but when he was there with his stepdaughter in the car... Yeah, yeah, totally. Right? Yeah. And he was re- and he was really civil and nice, you know? And I mean, you're going to be living in a cave because nobody will want to tolerate you in any way whatsoever, you know? And I think... Uh, yeah, like you so- say, that, that's the interesting thing. A, a lot of the, again, you know, a lot, as you were saying, a lot of the people who were interviewed uh, for the documentary, you know, they didn't come out and say, you know, he's an utter wanker, I want nothing to do with him. They were all obviously pretty fond of him. Even though you know they totally recognised the fact that he was an extremely difficult person to be around, right. and, and, and if but he was just a horrible piece of shit, um, you know people right. would be saying that. So. Well, that's like, like I'm saying. Even when, son, even when his son is talking about how like he would flip out on him, and he'd be like, "I wish you were black." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of like what I was saying though about Ginger being drugs. Is that you know everybody was like, oh yeah, we were with Ginger, yeah yeah man, but you know like yeah, I had fun, but no, can't make a life of it, you know. Yeah. It's like that's that's what he was like, you know. Well, maybe but, that's know, it. Maybe he did make a life of it, and other people were just able to dip in and out of that. And he's yeah. you know he's he's the kind of he's the worst case All scenario. He's you know this is what happens when you uh you know this is your brain on drugs kind of thing. So it's, it's right. fun to visit with Ginger for a while, but you don't want to live right. like Ginger, yeah. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. But you know, the, the the two things I wanted to touch on before I forget is uh, the work he did in Africa with Fela. I mean, yeah. one of my, that's one of my favorite records of all time, that Live Africa 70 record that they did. You know, I I defy anybody not to be able to shake their ass after listening to that album i mean like to me that's one of the most definitive party albums of all time next to like you know james brown you know yeah because it's just man the that whole thing just gets you jumping that and the, you know that whole album is just absolutely jaw-dropping when you realize it was live and there's no real overdubs that much on it it's just unbelievable yeah yeah it's yeah. incredible and isn't it yeah i, I loved 
I love the whole thing in that. First of all, I would love to watch that documentary about him driving through Africa. I really want to see that. But the the, the oh, the don't, sorry, about- Wendy. I've just got interjects here. You say you want to see that documentary. I want to see Nasty yeah. Boys. Do you do you remember Nasty Boys? This is when the guy said to him, "Look, you got to oh, yeah, some Hollywood yeah, ginger and, and make a film." Oh, He's in a low-budget action movie called Nasty right. Boys. <laughs> oh, man, I'm yeah, going to yeah. have to track that down. I didn't even know that existed. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. You actually have this when you find it. Wow. But it was so yeah, sorry, Wendy, how, like, he got really, really into Polo. Like, he was playing with Fela Kuti, who was, like, this revolutionary, this fucking people's, uh, you know, leader. And yet he gets really, really into Polo and going to, like, the swank country club. Yeah, yeah the colonialist. Yeah. That's one of the, the, the most the, privileged sort of sports, you know, you could get into, right. isn't it? It's not like you're just kicking a football around. It's just, but again, yeah, yeah, insane. But, but again, ginger, ginger the drug, you know, like, they are, drugs are amongst the rich and drugs are amongst the poor, you know? I mean, like, drugs don't segregate. They'll they'll go anywhere they go, you know? Any Anywhere anybody will take them, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other thing I wanted to say, too, was about how, you know, he went around the world and wound up burning so many bridges. And I, and I love I loved that part of the animation, too, where it was like everywhere Ginger went, there was a burning <laughs> ship. Yes. You know? Yeah. <laughs> that was beautiful. But, yeah. uh, no, I love, in the end, like, one of my favorites to come out of the late 80s and early 90s was a band called The Masters of Reality. And, know, uh, I, I didn't know that he played on that album again. I was totally yeah, yeah, that yeah, That's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. Even before he played on Sunrise on the Supper Bus, uh, Masters of Reality, their sound was very reminiscent of Cream and very reminiscent of a lot of those power trios of uh, the late 60s and 70s. And, you know, for Chris Goss, the singer of Masters, it was an ultimate dream come true to be able to play with Ginger. And I think... He really, you know, looked at Revere Ginger like a treasure, and yeah. you know how he talk, how he talks about in the in the film about how they were opening for Alice in Chains, and yeah. Ginger's out out there just like, what the fuck is this, man? Like this is this is bullshit, you know? Like I I can't I can't fit into this jacket, you know? This yeah. isn't me, you know? And I and I totally you know felt bad for him about that, you know. Was crazy because think, it's um, so you know someone of his stature at that point you know he couldn't really even get arrested no one would play with him no so which is just insane but, but I think a lot of it is a lot of it is his uh, it was by his own doing yeah and I mean you know and I think a lot of it is too is that he was almost like like Hunter Thompson okay people people loved Hunter Thompson by proximity and I think it was the same thing with Ginger where everybody could recognize. You know his craft, and they love Ginger, but like from a distance, you know, and, yeah. and, and to yeah. to his own to his own detriment. You know? Yeah, that's what it happened. What it wound down to in the end. He was uh, he was just very good at pushing people away. It seems right. And you know, one of the hardest things that really, you know, I've I don't have any kids myself, but one of the hardest things I thought was pretty tough to hear was uh, when Kopi, his son says you know in some ways it would have been just better if ginger had never yeah. had any kids at all and that you know he would have left behind a smaller mess yeah that's pretty brutal wasn't it yeah yeah to hear to hear the guy just straight up say that it's like holy shit man yeah. you know you're talking about yourself you know or else the daughter too when yeah. she says yeah mom and dad tried to abort me yeah yeah oh my gosh that was Jeez. so crazy yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's like oh, i don't mind no it's okay you know Jeez. <laughs> 
I think considering who their father was, they kind of seem pretty well adjusted. <laughs> was, really? Uh, Seriously? Yeah, kind of amazing. But uh, it, it's interesting as well, you said earlier, Tim, that with his current wife and his, his stepdaughter, how he's obviously really fond of her. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, you know, he was an absolute shit to his own kids. Mm-hmm. for so long um, particularly his son because I think his yeah. uh, his ex-wife says you know he wanted a son for so long and he finally got one and then he just treated him like crap yeah so yeah a complicated man very complicated man and you know the one the one thing that I I also wanted to mention too was that uh, Neil Neil Pert's in this yeah I'm surprised to see that they got an interview out of Neil Pert because out of the three members of Rush not that I'm any aficionado myself, but um, he's the one that always, like, I mean, uh, Alex Lifeson and Getty are the ones that do most of the, the media stuff. And, yeah. and Neil Pert's more the guy that's behind the scenes, right? He really is not a, you know, kind of a, a social musician, yeah. Yeah. right? And I've always thought in my mind is that why do people just exp- I understand, you know, the whole precept of being a celebrity and everything, but musicians d- are just people like anybody else. They don't have to be overly happy all the time and Absolutely. overly open all the time and yeah. overly available all the time. I mean, like that, that's just something to me that, you know, is just assumed by, yeah. by, you know, by society. And, and, you know, and I mean, well, yeah, that, ginger- I guess it's indicative of that celebrity culture almost. It's like, you know, you're sure. here to entertain us. You've always got to be on. So Sure, yeah. sure, sure. So, I mean, you know, when there was times when Ginger wasn't so nice, man, you know, like that's, uh, I'm not saying it's acceptable. I'm just saying a lot of that's just a human condition, you know? Yeah. A, yeah, lot, a lot of it, you know, it's addiction. It was, you know, I mean, neglect of his children, uh, you know, and, uh, but also the funny thing is too is is I think that his his uh, I think it was his sister she talked about the the Baker Baker anger yes yeah in the beginning and then yeah. he got that letter from his dad where his dad just says you know your fists are your best friends yeah you be know? a man stand up be a man stand up yeah yeah you know and I think I think that you know be I don't know if it was because of his lack of a, his own father or, or what. But I think Ginger Baker kind of had this kind of, you know, chunk of hot molten lava shoved up his arse for the majority of his life. And I think he just had this burning. And I think, you know, if, if he had if he had never found his calling as a drummer, man, I think he would have wound up killing people. Jeez, he'd be in because, prison, wouldn't he? Yeah, uh, yeah, he would. He would. I think he would. I think he would. There'd be no question about it. I think he, he just, I think drums were his outlet to kind of channel what he did, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Tim. Yeah, cool. All right. So, um, so I wanted to um, sort of talk a little bit about if uh, uh, the kind of current state of music documentaries, because there seems to be, you know, we're in kind of, I guess you could call it a golden age. There's just so many of them these days. Pretty much every band, obscure, famous, seems to have a documentary about them or a documentary in production. Um, and I just, uh, I wonder what you guys felt about that. Are we in a golden age? And, you know, how does this fit into that uh, that kind of trend? Oh, absolutely. And the thing that fascinates me is, like, I've noticed there are a lot of documentaries lately about, um, about like, uh, uh, like punk in the Middle East or, or you know, like, like yeah. we were talking before, regionalism yeah. and so forth. Like, I find it really interesting there are these great documentaries coming out now about 
uh, different different genres of music in different parts of the world. I think that's really interesting. And or things like a band called Death. I love documentaries about bands that, that like I I never listened to, like Anvil. That you know, yeah, there yeah. are like some really documentaries that aren't necessarily about big famous people or stories that that are well told. I want to see a documentary about something that's not not already told at that time. Absolutely. I mean, that's you know, nine times out of ten, that's going to be more interesting than you know another fucking Metallica documentary or whatever. So, um, yeah. I kind of love some monster just because at that time you didn't realize the sheer level of assholes yeah. they were. <laughs> and uh, talking about Metallica, Lars Ulrich manages to weasel his way into uh, this, doesn't he? But where Mr. Baker, he's got a few right. uh, talking head moments in there. Actually, I've got a note here which just says Lars Ulrich is a wanker. <laughs> um, two things. Two things I have to say about that. Um, <laughs> Yes one, and yes. One, well, one, is it just me or is Lars Ulrich becoming Gollum? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> you never see him in the same yeah. room together, do you? No, man. I can Jeez. just see him behind the ring, behind the drum kit and just like, you know, and James flips him a ring. My precious. <laughs> my precious. <laughs> but the other thing is, too, with Ginger, there's, there's the bit where... Um, now, don't laugh by what I'm about to say, because it might sound like it's completely whack. But every time I saw Ginger with his hair and just the look on his face and everything, I always thought of a garden gnome. <coughs> yeah, I can totally see that, yeah. <laughs> and, there, and then there, there's the bit there's the bit with the, the Air Force, where he's playing drums and he's got that blue beret on. Oh my, yeah, he looks like oh, he's yeah. in Gong or something, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, but he totally looks like a garden yeah. gnome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the beard and he's got that look and he's just got that smile on his face. He looks, he just looks like a garden gnome, you know. And now every time, you know, it's like I'll be walking, I'll, I'll go somewhere in the wherever in the world, and I'll be walking past somebody's house and I'll look down and see a garden gnome. I'll expect it to say, "Oh, you, yeah. fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> you can guarantee out but there no. somewhere you can get a little ginger baker ceramic garden gnome with his drumsticks. That's it. I'm right, keep right, an right. Eye. If I get you for Kringle but, next year, Tim, um, you want to expect something like that, okay? Oh, sweet, sweet. <laughs> but no, with the documentary, uh, when you're talking about current state of documentary, sure, yeah. uh, we're, we're obviously in a bumper crop, but um, the thing is, to me, is that just because there's a lot out there doesn't mean that they're good. Yeah. And, and what happens is when you wind up with a glut of, of things one way or another, just like, like the horror genre. Just yeah. because everybody says, "Well, horrors as healthy as it ever was." Well, that uh, you know, it's it's quantity. I mean, quality, not quantity. And that's the one thing that I really, I really liked about this one was that you know there was a lot of care put into this film. I mean, like, like um, you know, with the animation, with you know, some of the. I mean, like this guy Jay. If, if somebody from, you know, MTV or, or somebody from a kind of a more uh, prestigious uh, background had tried to approach Ginger, I'm sure he would have told him just to fuck off. But because Jay was just some schlub, this, this dude who just shows up and says, hey, I'm Jay. Hey, Ginger. You know, and he just shows up like this guy. I think it, it, it kind of uh, put Ginger more, not at ease, because he's never at ease, but I mean, but it, it, it kind of gave him an in because, you know, he, he was kind of like uh, like a lamb a little bit, you know, <laughs> he, he, he kind of went in there, and, yeah. you know, whereas whereas anybody else would have been like, 
okay, puff piece, or okay, we're going to shit on Ginger with this article, you know, or whatever, you know, and... Uh, I guess he wasn't yeah. that sort of, you know, fawning sycophant type, because uh, no. you know, when he's talking about writing the article at the start, it's pretty apparent he didn't really know who Ginger Baker was. Well, when until, he says he saw that film, and yeah. he goes, I, I, I didn't know who this guy was, yeah. I gotta meet this guy, you yeah. know, and he's just like, yeah, so, but yeah. no, I think... I think it, I think this this uh, documentary stands stands uh, stands up there as one of the better films to see, and you know warts and all. I mean, you know, I think uh, what's really funny is that uh, a lot of artists on film they might be worried, very worried about how they're going to be construed. Whereas I think that Ginger doesn't give a single solitary fuck, yeah. and so that's the difference. Whereas a lot of them, you know. Like we're you know with with Eric and Jack and these guys that are just like oh yeah yeah Ginger's Ginger's uh, a mate yeah 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 <laughs> and then you know Ginger and Ginger's like oh fuck Jack and fuck Eric and, uh, you yeah. know like, so he he's not he's not returning returning the service you know but uh but that's just who he is you know I mean Definitely, yeah you know yeah. and I think I think that uh to tie back to you know the first film that we did the the G.G. Allen hated documentary. It's kind of the same thing where, you know, it's like, you know, he didn't he didn't care how he was kind of seen, you know, yeah. he just he just he just this is what I am. You know, it's like if you, you want like it, great. You don't like it. Great. I don't give a shit. You know, cool. All right. Well, I think, uh, Wendy, you've got to jump off, haven't you? Yes. Yes. So uh, I think uh, that's probably a good point to, to wrap it up. So uh, All right. would you guys, uh, I take it this is uh, a recommend from both of you? Absolutely, and it's Absolutely. on Infants. Cool, so you've got yeah. no excuse, uh, you should all check it out. Um, okay, do, do yeah. either of you remember who's... So, who's, whose choice is it next time? That's what I was going to say, does anyone remember whose choice it was? I've got a feeling it might be <laughs> Morris's. I think it was uh, Morris's. Yeah, I Yours did. last... And Tim was the month before, wasn't it? So I reckon it must be yeah. Morris. So uh, yeah. I guess um, we'll announce on the, the Facebook page uh, what we're going to do next. So um, right, yeah. And bef- before we go, I would like to wish all our two listeners out there, hi mom. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I would like to wish all our listeners out there a very merry Christmas, happy holidays, happy Kwanzaa, you know, yeah, joyous Noel, all that shit. And uh, we'd like to wish everybody uh, safe and happy. Uh, holiday season with your family we wish everybody the best of health and we hope you keep uh listening to the podcast and we hope that everyone uh, finds a lot of great films and a lot of great sounds uh, they enjoy over the holidays absolutely i second that motion and uh can i just say as well uh you know if you enjoyed the uh, the podcast recommend it to friends and family uh check us out on facebook if you search for uh, see here you'll find the group uh and look on itunes as well and maybe even leave us a review and send us feedback uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Anything else, guys? No. Yeah. Oh, no. no. Happy holidays. Happy holidays yeah. to everybody. Happy Thanks. holidays. Thanks a lot, Tim. Thanks, Wendy. Uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for listening out there. Take care. This has been C here, and uh, we'll see you soon. Cheers.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 